Welcome to the Dare Menopause Podcast, where we discuss the menopause transition to help make everyday life a little easier for women. I'm Sonia Lovell, your host of Dear Menopause. I'm a menopause campaigner and I am a huge advocate for healthy eating and looking after our bodies from the inside out, which is why I invited on to today's episode one of my most favorite guests ever, Angelique Clark. Ange is an absolute legend in this space of menopause and perimenopausal nutrition. So today we are talking supplements. This is a juicy, juicy topic. And if you hang in there right through to about the 40 minute mark and gets really, really fired up about the supplement industry, you are going to love this episode. Ange Clark, welcome back to Dear Menopause. It is such a delight to have you with us today. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited about this chat. I am super excited, even though my voice probably isn't giving away how excited I am. I am suffering from a winter cold, flu, virus, whatever. It got me good this week. And um, as a result, my voice isn't quite as perky as I would like it to be. But our schedules are so ridiculous. We had to take this opportunity to get this episode recorded because we'd already pushed it and rescheduled it once because you were sick. We are sitting down today to chat about supplements. So we're talking about supplements for women in midlife, perimenopause, postmenopause, but we're going to throw into the mix some um, supplements for immunity because, um, hey, it's a hot topic right now. But before we get into all of that, for anyone that hasn't come across you before on my podcast, why don't you give us all a little intro about who you are and why you in particular are here to talk about supplements today? Oh, well, first and foremost, my official title is an advanced accredited sports dietitian, and I also have a degree in exercise physiology. But where I practice now and where I sit is helping active and also I always say an everyday active, so generally getting women to encourage them to exercise. Um, and I help women in midlife, so the perimenopause transition, uh, really nourish a high-performing lifestyle. So specifically looking at the ways in which we can use food and nutrition and maybe perhaps supplements uh, to enhance this whole transition. And I think it's a particularly um, imperative time. And I I'm, I have a really big passion for supplements because uh, for a lot of time I took a lot of shit um, and it didn't work and I spent a lot of bloody money. So I'm here to sort of set the record straight. I have done a masterclass previously that was really popular and women were just dumbfounded at the stuff that they had literally wasted so much money on that I think we just need to set the record straight as it relates to supplementation. I'm with you. I also have taken so much shit over the years. <laughs> because it was trendy, because somebody else was taking it and it sounded good. Yeah, emotive opening. Yeah, the sports bros. Oh my gosh, there is so much that we can clear up here today, as well as give really good evidence-based advice for women that, you know, is specific to women, which is, I think, one of the things we want to get really clear on. And where is the best place for us to start? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to think about who who would actually benefit from taking supplements? So the first thing we need to consider is, do you have some clinical blood work or value that would indicate that you would be at an extra need for adding more on top of what you're currently doing in your lifestyle? 
So that's the first question I'd always ask. And if there is a clinical blood value, just like a blood test where you can see some of those levels of micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, these types of things, perhaps you've been deficient in iron in the past, maybe you've gone to your GP and your bone mineral density has been questioned because you are aging now, maybe estrogen is lowering and they might've possibly mentioned things such as calcium. So there's often a lot of talk in and around deficiencies, but true deficiency, we really only take a little bit more seriously with a blood value. And unfortunately, that's it's kind of a last resort, which is not great because I think we can always talk about prevention and that's always really good. But often it's not until we have a problem that we go and get our bloods done and then we find, oh, we're deficient in this. So what can we do about it? And then people come in and as a dietitian, obviously um, people bring their results in and say, oh, my GP and my doctor has suggested that I need to look at my nutrition um, in order for me to get these, these vitamins and minerals. And so that's kind of the first place I would consider, okay, we've opened up the supplement conversation. Um, The next point I'd always sort of look at, and it's funny because when you look at the people that purchase supplements, and I've looked at the statistics, um, I'm not going to tell you how much a billion-dollar industry it is, multi-multi-billion-dollar industry. Like There is a lot of people spending a lot of money on this, and people that are spending a lot of money on this are often women in midlife and ones that are actually, funnily enough, really interested in their health. So they have a health value. And this is where we see a lot of people tend to look at supplements when they're already doing a lot of good, healthy behaviors. And then they start to go, well, what more can I do? And so these are the things that they look to. Now, a lot of people, and sometimes people go to supplementation before they've even done that. They know that maybe their health should be a little bit better, but they're maybe trying to find a lazy way to sort of go about it. And then they want to find uh, a magical unicorn in a pill. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. A unicorn in a pill. Yeah, and look, and this is it. So often I'll say to people, sometimes you might be eating a lot of calories or energy, but your nutrition is actually kind of nutrient poor. Yeah. So, you know, we need to determine the difference between, well, what exactly are the classified areas of supplementation? Um, and there's a couple of different categories. So there's health supplements. So as we've just mentioned, maybe it's a vitamin or a mineral or a cluster or a combination of that is how it's being presented um, in the pill or in the tablet or the drink or whatever. Um, there are also sport-related supplements. So there's definitely supplements that come in to help sport-related situations, um, also called ergogenic aids as well. So things such as maybe caffeine or pre-workouts, these types of things. So there's a little bit of that sort of category. But the other thing I often find, particularly with uh, the midlife woman, is that if there are symptomology, so if they're coming in and they're now experiencing symptoms of menopause and menopause transition, perimenopause, that undulating uh, hormonal pattern is now giving them a little bit of trouble, um, they often will look for these herbal supplements and sometimes they sit in a little bit of a separate category. So these are things such as nootropics, which might help with our brain function. And then you've got the other subclass of those being adaptogens, which are a little bit different to supplements. So in any which way, we can't of all look at these under a big, big, broad banner, but it's important to determine the difference between each of these classes and categories as well and the reason why we're taking it. So sometimes people will be getting lots in their diet, but they might need a little bit of extra nutrients because they're not quite eating maybe the particular foods that might support or provide that. And that might be because, you know, maybe they can't have dairy and so they're missing out on calcium. So they tend to look for supplementation with that. Um, On the flip side, I actually have worked a lot with women that are perpetually on diets 
sets. And I know we've spoken about this the last time we spoke. Um, but of course, if you aren't eating enough for really chronic periods of time, if you're a consistent dieter, um, you're a yo-yo dieter, there are going to be really big chunks and periods of your life where you're not going to get adequate nutrition. Then of course, you're not going to get adequate micronutrients, in which case I would definitely be looking at supplementation in that from that perspective. And then maybe possibly some other clinical needs. So obviously, um, we look at menopause as a transitionary time where our body actually requires a little bit more nutrition. Our calcium needs do actually go up. Um, we are looking at things such as cholesterol markers. So maybe supplementation can help with that. Um, and also things such as, you know, um, conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, um, pregnancy as well. Um, so yeah, any of those types of scenarios where your body needs are a little bit more heightened. Uh, we want, want to be a little bit more diligent about where that nutrition is coming from and often supplementation sort of comes into the conversation of how we can best get there. Going right back to the very start where you talked about the blood testing and so perhaps you've been to your GP and um, they've recommended doing some blood tests and then they've gone, okay, let's get you to a nutritionist to, because we can do some work here with your nutrition. If you were wanting to get a really good picture of what was going on for you internally with those 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 values, so getting a good look at your biomarkers, do you have a recommendation around what, you know, you should be asking your GP to, to test? Yeah, I think it's really important um, just as a general health check. So they'll start with something, if nothing's wrong particularly. So firstly, we say symptoms. So that's another reason why I would look at supplementation. If somebody came into my office and said, look, I'm really suffering in terms of symptomology, I'd say, okay, well, there's some supplements that have a pretty good, robust amount of evidence. Let's look at you in terms of using that for your specific condition and population. But we're also not going to look at that unless we look at your overall intake from a food perspective as well. So if you did want to do just a general test, you might go in and say, look, I'm suffering from XYZ. Can you please test? And they might do something a little bit more specific. But in general, it's actually really good just to get a blood test as a general like annual health check. So if you just went, I just want a, um, a general health check, that would probably give you a lot of data. It's not going to be specific to women essentially, but if you want to add a few extra values to that. So first thing is a full blood count. And often this is um, generally bulk billed by your GP, which is fabulous. You don't have to pay for it. Um, but there is a uh, some a little bit extras, and I call it the well woman check. Um, so there's a couple of other things such as possibly thyroid. So that's often something that we do see um get impacted, particularly in midlife, obviously a little bit more stressful and all the rest of it. But um we often get women that do complain about slowing the, the lowering or slowing of the metabolism. So often it's just really nice rule of thumb to check that out. In a full blood count, you're also going to get your cholesterol markers. And that's really important for us to be looking at these types of things in relation to preventing things such as high cholesterol, um, cardiovascular disease and these types of things that often happen and occur just simply as a result of estrogen lowering with that midlife transition. Um, so thyroid, definitely. The other thing I really see, particularly at midlife, is um, a little bit more case of insulin resistance. And this is as a result of the belly fat or the visceral abdominal fat gain. So that midsection belly fat is going to increase our likelihood to possibly contribute to things such as insulin resistance. So a fasting blood glucose test would be great. They might do an oral glucose tolerance test, um, a bit like when you were pregnant, to see how quickly or slowly that sugar enters your body and how quickly you clear it out of the system as well. Um, sometimes you can get a bit of a ratio and get an insulin um, to glucose ratio and, and exactly what that looks like just to predict, are you actually insulin resistant? Um, 
um, which then affects how you metabolize carbohydrates. And so we really want to have an insight over those markers because that makes it really important. Then we're, ma- we're making nutrition interventions that we've got a little bit of that visibility across what's happening as well. So they're probably the main ones that I can think of, um, particularly in, in the peri transition. I often look at iron and in particular, a few other biomarkers of that. So a general a blood test might not give you all the things that we're looking for. We definitely want to have a look at hemoglobin, but ferritin is really important, the storage form of iron. So just double check that that sort of thing is in there as well. Um, and then anything in particular that you might be in response to, sometimes CRP, so um, C-reactive protein is what they're looking for as a marker of inflammation. You can get some cortisol levels, but I'm generally going to predict that most of the time we're really busy and it's going to be high anyway. And it depends on you know when you take that test as to where your cortisol sits as well. Sometimes just pure anxiety might elevate those levels a bit more as well. But it's nice just as an inflammatory marker just to see where that is. Um, but that would probably be the biggest ones, I think, off the top of my head, unless, like I said, you've got some specific concerns in which case your GP will direct you otherwise. Yeah. I know from personally, I always ask for my vitamin D to be done. B12 is another yep. one I find, yeah, from an energy perspective. And I, you know, I know as women, you know, it kind of ties into that cortisol, you know, we're busy, often our, our B vitamins are lacking a little bit and that can also be diet related as well. Yeah. And it also helps in our carbohydrate metabolism. So we we need B vitamins to help us process and metabolize carbohydrates. And if we've got a little bit of insulin resistant ha- resistance happening, it's often, yeah, a result of, yeah, not getting enough B vitamins as well. And calcium, is calcium one that can be tested as well? Um, yes. So what we look at with that is it, because it's bone health, right? So this is yeah. the thing then increases in terms of risk factor management as we age. So bone health is really interesting. Um, I would look at a couple of other factors in relation to that. It's vitamin D and calcium, absolutely. Um, but then I would look at how much calcium we're getting in. So sometimes the other thing is to remember that, you know, whilst you're getting clinical values and you might be within range, if you're looking at, and this is where we do a dietary assessment and we go, okay, well, generally let's get a picture of and a feel for kind of how you habitually eat because that's going to give us an indication of how much of those nutrients you're getting through your food. And if I can see that there's a hole there, then that's when we go in and, and really, you know, that's when nutrition becomes really prescriptive. And we're like, okay, we need to get, you know, calcium, for instance. Generally, it's about a thousand milligrams a day for our premenopausal women. And then once we hit postmenopause, it goes up to 1200 milligrams a day. So, and 12 to 1300 milligrams a day. So, that's actually really difficult for us to get in um, from that instance as well. But yeah, vitamin K is also another one that helps in that cofactor of bone health as well. So, yeah, all of these clustered in together is going to give us an indication. And it is important, like we said, if that estrogen is starting, starting to lower, that we, we definitely look for these sorts of things for sure. Other areas that I was really keen to hear from you about are things like um, magnesium. So obviously these aren't going to be picked up in our blood tests, but they're often, um, I guess, supplements that I hear are regularly recommended as being highly recommended for women in the, the menopausal transition. Where do you stand on that? So yeah, I mean, magnesium, I think in particular, most most menopausal women will have inadequate magnesium levels. So we often see this. It does actually then put you at greater risk of poor health. Obviously, magnesium plays such a big factor in so many other processes, cellular processes within the body. So I often will find that magnesium is an important factor when we're looking at women in general, but it can be obtained quite readily from food. So when I talk about supplementation, it's really interesting. I think what we need to remember is that Let's talk about a cupcake. So let's talk about the base being the batter. 
It's what majority of the cupcake is made of. This is basically going to be your biggest results driver. And your cupcake batter is really what we're looking at in terms of day-to-day nutrition, habitual nutrition, what you eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks on a regular basis, day in, day out. That's your first portico from a nutrient perspective. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, we've got the icing on top of the cake. So the icing is looking at specifically what can we do around certain key times for instance, exercise to enhance our nutrition. And possibly that might require a little bit of supplementation if you can't get it from your food. It's a little bit too busy, life's a bit hectic, and we want a convenient lifestyle. So we might be able to add some supplementation in to maximize that window of opportunity when our bodies are more susceptible to taking on board nutrients, which is a beautiful reason as to why we want to get women training and being active. Um, and then on top of that, this is where these micronutrients sit. So they are the sprinkles, sprinkles on top of the icing, on top of the cake. So if I'm going to look at the ratio, we're looking at 80% is really, you're going to get a lot of this nutrition from your day-to-day diet. 20% is where we're looking at maybe those ergogenic aids. You know, maybe we're having a little bit of caffeine around training, or maybe we're using an adaptogen to help us a little bit more because we want to reduce those adrenals. So we don't want too much caffeine. Um, And, you know, and, and maybe that's in and around that sort of performance aspect. And that could also be, like I said, brain performance, cognition, giving us a little bit more extra boost when we're thinking about, okay, well, how do I function day to day at work? Do I need a little bit of extra focus and these types of things? Where are my adaptogens coming in that might help with my symptomology? So this is about 18 to 19% difference, right? Um, And now some women will argue the supplement changed their life. I'm like, okay. We don't really particularly have evidence for that, but if you changed your lifestyle at the same time you took a supplement, it's probably likely 80% attributed to what you are doing in terms of health-related habits, right? Like I said, 18 to 90% icing on top of the cake, the specific stuff that might actually help once your cake batter is built. And then the 1% to 2% is going to be added in terms of those sprinkles on top of the icing on top of the cake. So it might help, but it's not going to help any more than trying to look for a beautiful, nutritious diet that is suitable for the perimenopausal or menopausal woman um, going through that transition. And I think that's the biggest key to remember is that, yeah, it's great. Love magnesium. Love it for active women, especially um, if they're you know losing their electrolytes, if they have problems with um you know, starting training and they're really quite, um, their muscles are really sore and things like that. So magnesium is great for sleep. It is a muscle relaxant. So I would often play around a bit with um, a certain dosage. Again, don't be taking these things and going, um, if a little bit's good, more is better. In the way of supplementation, you really have to be careful with this sort of stuff. So you have to understand Okay, first and foremost, where where can I get it from my diet? So that's the first thing I want to ask myself. Okay, if I'm getting an adequate level, whatever the RDA is for that particular nutrient, then I kind of don't need to add this. But if I'm showing symptoms, and particularly uh, for my premenopausal women, if they have a lot of PMS um, in that late luteal phase, if they're really struggling with that, I will actually add 300 milligrams of magnesium at nighttime to help them with a bit of zinc, with a bit of omega-3. And that helps that particular moment in that cycle for them. But I'll do that for three cycles and then we'll take it away and see what the difference was. So remember with supplementation, the idea is that we didn't, we weren't all born and then we got out, we ate food and then all of a sudden we needed supplements. So supplements have really been created. They're a very highly processed way of extracting nutrients from whole foods, which were beautiful to start with. And if we think about the food matrix itself, there's so much value and benefit in that as a whole. Like it was naturally designed to be, I mean, nature is phenomenal. Our bodies are 
phenomenal. So if we are lacking in one particular area or another, your body will adapt. It will learn to adapt. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to be at the forefront of that. We're trying to help it a little bit. So if we can give it and provide it with enough of the nutrients available, majority of times you don't need to be perfect. Nutrition's never perfect, right? Mm. But it will work with what it's got. And then if you are experiencing some symptoms on top of that, um, then we might look to supplement specifically, but test and measure. Okay. So we're never on these things for long-term as well. Um, and the other thing I probably would use magnesium with is particularly headaches and migraines. So, and again, I'm looking at the research. I'm looking at what the strength of evidence is there for that particular person. Has the studies done it in menopausal women, you know, or the person or the client sitting in front of me, like, where is that from? So if there's some element of evidence there and it does no harm, then I'll say, you know what, if it's worth the money, um, it's not going to do any harm and it's going to help improve your symptoms. Let's try it at the therapeutic dose, what the literature will tell us. So often this is another big key factor when it comes to supplementation, these little bits and pieces that you find in, you know, supplement stacks and stuff like that. They actually don't have enough based on the evidence in terms of reaching a therapeutic dose amount that's actually going to make a difference. So I think you've heard of the word placebo. So often when we are really bought into something, we're invested in that making you feel better. Um, and this is where I see I see a lot of those sort of supplement stacks being really quite poor with, um, you know, X, Y, Z of, you know, whatever it is that's in there, this natural, you know, amazing concoction of different stuff. Um, and it actually isn't even ticking the marker of what the evidence would tell us would be of a therapeutic benefit. So it, it's really, it really depends. It really depends. What I'm, what I, I guess what I'm hearing is that there is a massive marketing machine at play here when it comes to supplements um, and those shelves in your health food shop, in your pharmacy that are laden with supplements for everything possible under the sun. And potentially you're spending a lot of money on something that's just going down the toilet at the end of the day. Yeah. And literally, so a lot of our water-soluble vitamins, if we don't need them, we'll just pee them out. So it's literally pee down the toilet. You're literally weighing it out. Another area that I'm really keen to get your thoughts on is, and I know that you're keen to talk about this, is the green powders. So, you know, the whole add the greens to your smoothie in the morning kind of scenario. I know you did um, a little bit of a post on social media about this recently. Tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah. So this went viral and I thought at one stage I was like, oh my gosh, athletic greens is going to kill me because I'm just, <laughs> um, <laughs> that wasn't my intention. Um, so the idea with this is it's very interesting. So these were obviously made really popular because of course, remember how we look and decide about different things, right? So a lot of the supplement market has been based on emotive marketing. You'll see a ripped or like really spelt figure, or you'll see a celebrity take something and you're like, oh my God. And you'll just automatically, this is what our brain does. Our brain automatically associates that supplement because that person is holding that supplement saying, I'm here taking it because they've been paid to say that. Mm -hmm. so, sorry to break everyone's bubble, um, but they they get paid big, big money to be seen with these supplements. And of course, a lot of the athletic area um, are going to be seen doing these types of things. And it's sponsorship, it's corporate you know, ads and things like that as well, that they go, this is the best form of advertisement. So if you then go, all right, well, that person is standing next to that. If I want to look like that, it's what our brain does. If I want to look like that, I must have to take that. Mm -hmm. I have to say that that's not going to happen first and foremost, but because we are so driven by emotion and because weight is such a, and, you know, 
appearance, physical appearance is so prominent in our brain. Um, a lot of the times we end up purchasing these types of things. And one particular one that has been very popular of late has been greens powders, okay, where they've apparently grounded up all the veggies and fruit and whatever else that is in there and popped it into a powder and said, you just need to take this. You don't need to eat fruit and veg. Don't eat your veggies anymore. Just take the powder. And like in theory, I mean, that would be an amazing, uh, like if, if, as a choice, I'd be like, absolutely. Like, I mean, how hard is it to A, prepare vegetables, make them taste good and then actually get them like sauce them and get them prepared and all the rest of it and then eat it. Like bloody a lot, right? So it is a lot. <laughs> and this is what I talk, talk about. There is no magical unicorn that you are ever going to find in a pill, a powder, a supplement of any description. So that isn't going to negate the day-to-day habitual intake of fruit and vegetables. And we'll talk a little bit about the gut microbiome and, and in particular, the, what we call the estrobilome. Uh, so we've had... <laughs> Yeah, so that's a big word. I know it's a big word. It's a big word, but of course, you know, we talk about estrogen and and the menopause transition and things like that. And and of course, our body is so amazing, right? I've said that before. So everything that we can need can be obtained from our diet. We don't need supplementation for this, but because we are living in a very fast-paced world, we often don't have the time to be able to get this stuff in. And so this is where supplementation comes in. They're a convenience option for people and they're marketed towards that. But when we actually looked at the studies, and I'm talking about, I was looking at studies from cognition to performance to health as well. So these are all separate kind of outcomes of what we're trying to achieve. And on every single front, nothing tripped between the greens powder and actually eating fruit and veg in a decent amount. Um, it, It just didn't even compare. And so the problem is, is that you can have a greens powder. Look, it's not going to do you any harm, but is it a substitute for eating and not eating your fruit and veg? Absolutely not. So these are the things that we need to consider. So it might make you feel better, but at 150 bucks a month, I think is the membership. Like I had people go, oh my God, I'd rather spend that on fruit and veg. I'm like, yeah, go and spend that on fruit and veg because the benefit by the literature is going to be far outweighing the benefit of taking a powder. So this is where the cost versus benefit, I want really people to really understand the difference between that. Um, and of course, you know, it's not a lazy way of doing nutrition and being healthy. Unfortunately, you just can't get past eating fruit and veg. Um, and when it comes down to what we look at from a gut health perspective, there's been a lot in terms of like the gut space, prebiotics, probiotics, these types of things. And to be honest, then if I have a look at the research with that, there is some good, strong evidence that would point to enhancing a better gut microbiome if we're looking at things such as prebiotic fibers. But what we're looking at in a supplementation like that is things that we can't necessarily get from our diet or it's really hard to obtain. So these are things like um, resistant starches and prebiotic fibers, which is the undigestible part of the the actual food that they're putting in there. Things like Jerusalem artichoke, green banana fiber, like when's the last time you ate that, right? So <laughs> you're not going to have that in your diet. I mean, collagen, we can talk about collagen as well. So these are the things that like, if you're not going to be eating that stuff out of your diet, then there is evidence to suggest that if you do have what we call gut dysbiosis, so our gut bacteria isn't ideal, um, we know that this is the pinnacle of everything as it relates to immunity, as then it relates into general health. And of course, then if we have our general health, then we're more likely to want to do and engage in other behaviors. Obviously, when we're sick, we're not training, right? So, no. and oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we don't have the energy to be able to do these types of things. And then our nutrition, then by default, mm 
reduces. So it is really tricky. And I think this is why often a lot of time we focus on good health for, you know, majority of times. And then if and do we, when we do fall sick and we can't, we can't, unfortunately, we can't prevent getting sick. Um, all we can do is help our immunity by, you know, having a good focus on gut health, making sure we're eating those good fruit and vegetables, but also things such as the pre and combination of probiotic um, fibers that we can put into things such as supplementation um, might actually help. But getting a really broad based strain at the moment, we're just not at the level where we can say, okay, for this ailment, this is the strain of probiotic that you need. Um, but I would always recommend if you are going through a bout of, um, you know, a period where you have had to take antibiotics, you drink. So alcohol, these are the things that strip the gut microbiome. So actually, you know, take a lot of the good stuff out. Um, and so when you're sorry, just from stepping back there for a moment, when you talk about drinking and alcohol, are you talking about uh, moderate to excessive drinking or just any alcohol consumption? Any, any in general. Yep. Okay. So we know that uh, there is an element of the it being a toxin as such. Um, our body needs to, you know, go through the liver needs to work harder to get that out of the system. And so there is no benefit I see from that perspective. But we do know that you actually lose um, a little bit of that biodiversity when we're actually drinking. Um, and of course, with antibiotics, we're going in there to kill foreign bacteria. Unfortunately, they don't know which one they're targeting, so it kind of strips everything that's in there as well. So in those types of situations and scenarios. Um, absolutely. Like even gastro, you know, like I just think, okay, there's been a lot that's gone through that really quickly um, in and out. Um, and so when, when you're in these sorts of times where you're a little bit more compromised, um, often when you're traveling, so now that we're traveling a little bit more, if we're going into environments where there's going to be more exposure to different bugs and things like that, um, we might want to be taking that Yes, as a little bit of a preventative, but also if you actually have gone through a period of being sick or ill, um, it might actually help with that to, to recover you a little bit better and help restore that gut microbiome. So it's not only about the probiotics, so the good gut bugs that we want to put in there. So we want to make sure that they're in there. We also want to make sure the prebiotic fiber is in there so they can feed off and they can stay in that beautiful environment as well. Um, so yeah, that'll in turn help our immunity, help create that defense line, and hopefully might make us um, the symptomology last a little bit less in terms of you know being sick for a, a little bit less time um but it won't stop us from getting sick unfortunately yeah uh, i'm sorry <laughs> ah, no that's all right from an um immunities perspective outside of prebiotics and probiotics i will admit i've been eating a lot of garlic <laughs> over the last few days you know what? that's a great prebiotic fiber that's along with jerusalem artichoke so eat your garlic your onions your um spring onions leeks are amazing as well fantastic well done uh, my poor husband is, um, he, you know, he just keeps going, well, at least I know there'll be no vampires visiting us there. <laughs> like, okay, no, fun fact, you know, what you can do is actually eat parsley when you eat garlic because it neutralizes the odor. And parsley is really high in vitamin C. Again, another really good antioxidant, which helps when we're looking at, um, you know, getting better and anti-inflammatories and things like that. Vitamin C obviously is great when we're um, we're not well. Honey, things like that. What else can kind of like you know when we do get struck by a a virus, um, something that you know we can't fight off with antibiotics. You do just have to let your system kind of run its course. Um, you know what else do you kind of throw into the mix there? 
Hydration, I think, is the yeah. biggest key as well. Yeah. So often we're just we 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 reduce the good behaviors that we would normally be doing because our body is resting. And I think a lot of women come in and they're like, oh, I just I'll just won't eat. You know, I'm not exercising, so I don't have permission to eat when I'm sick. Absolutely not. That if you think about your illness, that's an activity factor, and that's what we would consider if we give our body again all the nutrients that it would require it to be functioning at an optimal level. That might help. Now the volume of that might reduce. Obviously, we're fatigued, we're tired, we might be snotty and sniffly, and we might have a sore throat. We don't necessarily want to eat as much. Um, Things such as vitamin C are great. Um, Zinc is the other one as well that is is quite good and has some good literature behind it. But again, so vitamin C, zinc, um, omega-3 is actually really, and vitamin D. So uh, those ones, I think in particular, are a nice little cluster that you might want to implement in the time where A, people are getting sick around you. You might not be sick just yet. So a little bit more preventative, obviously, if you have been sick and then the duration of the symptoms, um, but then keep it on the shelf after that. Like you don't have to have this sort of stuff routinely all the time. And if you think about, you know, two or three uh, kiwi fruits are going to give you most of your daily serve of vitamin D, any, uh, sorry, vitamin C anyway. So these are the things we want to get back to really quickly. But if you can, one of my biggest tips um, is soups. So I generally will get my ladies to boil up a whole lot of vegetables and just put it in some veggie stock or some broth or whatever you've got, blitz it with a, a soup mixer, and then just have some of that warm. It's um, it's just what your body kind of feels like, and it adds hydration to it as well. So you've got the water, you've got the um, the vitamins and the minerals, but it's just in a blended form, and it's easier to kind of get down. So at least it's a way to sort of tick the box on the way to getting better. Anyway, I actually did make some chicken broth the other night. I um, I'd roasted up a chicken for dinner, and um, I, I must have been on the day that I was starting to come down with something, and I just looked at the bones and immediately went, "I'm making chicken broth." And uh, so I do have jars of chicken broth in my in my fridge. So I shall be making chicken soup. And this is the thing, the old tradition, you know, like if you think about our grandmas, you know, people got sick, we went and gave them chicken soup. So, you know, there's some element of that. And funnily that you said that because there's a lot of collagen in the the bones and the, the ligaments and that sort of stuff that you're boiling up that becomes that broth. And, and so when we're talking about supplementation, things such as collagen are really, really um, touted, particularly in midlife maybe for things like wrinkles, um, you know, so things like that. Um, and, and look, I to prefer be- to call mine laugh lines. I love those love lines. I'm finding a few more of them every year and I love it. <laughs> yes. And so these are the things that obviously our skin elasticity um, changes as we age. There's a lot of more sun exposure. So my wonderful beauty therapist always tells me, you know, have you got, um, have you got your zinc on? So you've got, essentially it's zinc, you know, your sunscreen and stuff like that. So these are protective markers, um, but we also need to be looking at things such as that are high in antioxidants as well. And again, our really bright colored and deep purple and red colored fruit and vegetables are going to be contributing to that. The stuff that has lots of vitamin C in it, um, but also has a lot of what we call the polyphenols. And so you can actually supplement with things like that. That's going to help that. But collagen, going back to collagen, um, it does form a few of the building blocks that are associated with things such as hair, skin, and nails. So you've got two different forms. Obviously, you've got a bovine or or beef collagen, which is a lot of what is touted in the supplement industry, which is that hydrolyzed peptides. Um, it, they've just chopped it up a little bit more as a fancy way to say that. Um, and then in combination with vitamin C, it has seen to be a period like to help with things such as joint and tendon related injuries if we combine that and have that about 60 minutes prior to exercise. So again, remember what I said about supplementation. Is that something that you would need first and foremost? You know, do you have any joint or tendon problems? 
maybe in midlife we do. (laughs) So it might be a considerate factor. Um, But the first thing to remember as well is like, okay, well, um, can we look at weight management? Like, is that something if we took some weight off that we could actually look to alleviate some of the joint pressure? Could we exercise a little bit more in a gentle environment? Maybe we can do some swimming so it doesn't feel as bad, you know? So we can try and do these types of things. But if we are doing them just prior, even if it's rehab, um, related and you've had an injury, um, it's so beneficial. So the literature will tell us that if we add collagen into that mix, so 15 grams of that plus a little bit of vitamin C, um, 60 minutes prior to exercise, that might actually help to repair um, the tendon and the joint itself. So in combination with that, I think I, I mentioned omega-3 before. And I think it's really nice from an anti-inflammatory perspective. Again, when we look at the disease markers and looking at immunity and things like that, often a lot of disease or dis-ease is um, stemming from a poor gut health microbiome. So poor gut microbiome and also um, concurrently inflammation. So an inflammatory state when we're looking at internally Um, and things such as our unsaturated fatty acids, in particular, those marine forms of omega-3 fatty acids have been found quite robustly in the literature to help to reduce the inflammation over time. And a lot of the time um, they can be encased. And hopefully if you're not doing this already, um, you would be wanting to maximize the use of extra virgin olive oil in your diet, because that is another beautiful way. I know it's not a supplement, um, but often the best forms of omega-3 are actually encased in extra virgin olive oil, which actually helps the stability of the omega-3 to get to the body where it needs to go and help that beautiful cellular repair. And so by having these types of things consistently in our diet, it also operates, particularly a good quality olive oil will operate on the same pathway as ibuprofen. So it is a natural painkiller that you can get from your nutrition and from your food. Um, But in combination with that omega-3, we get a lot of omega-6 in our diet, not so much a lot of, not so much omega-3. So we want to balance that ratio out a little bit can help with things such as hot flushes. So we actually have seen that in the literature as well in terms of the menopause symptoms. Um, And it's probably one of the staple things that I do with my ladies um, is to really just boost that in there because we just can't get a lot of it unless you're eating fish, you know, three, four times a week. And it's a really good source of fish, like deep sea ocean fish. Can't get a lot of that in, um, you know, in uh, unless you go into a fish market or something like that. Unfortunately, yeah, it's not as easily accessible, is it? It's not as easily accessible, no. And and in consideration of like joint ache and pain, the only other thing that I would probably um, be mindful of is maybe there's some good research to support curcumin in combination with piperin. So um, yep. that's the, the um, really the black pepper component um, and then the turmeric component, um, the therapeutic dose of that in terms of reducing inflammation has been seen quite nicely in the literature to be of good form when you supplement it. So um, yeah, definitely definitely eat that sort of stuff, like your curry powders and things like that. But unfortunately, the bioavailability of that is actually a little bit better in supplementation form. So yeah, a few little things to consider. And just going back to the extra virgin olive oil, Is that um, bioavailability change if you use it in cooking as opposed to if you drizzle it on your salad? That is an absolutely fantastic question and it's a a myth we're going to bust right now. Yay, let's go. Yeah, because often people would shy away from using olive oil in cooking because they have been told it doesn't have a high smoke point so it goes rancid when you heat it. Absolute BS. They've done the research on it. And I can absolutely guarantee that a good quality extra virgin olive oil. So that's a really, you know, one that you want to be looking out for. If you can get a first cold pressed 
extra virgin olive oil looks a little bit green. So when you actually pour it out, you'll start to see that that is because of the antioxidants and in the skin of the actual olive itself. So that's what keeps it stable enough to actually be able to heat up to 200 degrees Celsius. And you're probably not going to cook above that unless you're deep frying, (laughs) Um, in which case nobody goes really above 200 degrees. If you think about roasting vegetables in the oven um, or just heating oil on a pan, it is absolutely fine. And in actual fact, um, it actually helps to break down things like cellular walls of say, um, tomato, which actually releases and makes more bioavailable the beta carotene that's associated with tomatoes as well, which is, you know, those beautiful vitamins and minerals that we speak about. So adding extra virgin olive oil into your cooking is actually really beneficial. It'll break down that cellular wall. It'll let those nutrients escape a little bit quicker. So our body can assimilate and absorb that a little bit better as well. So please cook with it and please eat it cold. However you want to do it, it should be a staple in your pantry. That's awesome because I I use EVO to um, to cook with, always have, even though I had heard behind not using it because of the high smoke point. But that also really ties into the whole Mediterranean diet thing as well, doesn't it? What you were talking about there, like if I think about the Mediterranean diet, I think about extra virgin olive oil and I think about tomatoes and, you know, and they that's well, not just... Omega-3. <laughs> and the fish and yeah. So it's, it's really interesting because, you know, that really is from, if you want to talk about diets... That is the the way of eating that is 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 recommended as the most beneficial for longevity and health and absolutely and and for reducing menopausal symptoms. So there's yeah, actually okay. a, um, a beautiful UK study that's come out now saying that legumes. So again, Mediterranean, you know, legumes are things such as our chickpeas, kidney beans, lentils, these types of beautiful things. All nobody, yummy things. Yep. I never, nobody knows what to do with them. So I've Oh God, point. come to my house. I know. And this is the thing I've made a point of now going, okay, I need to add these into my recipe. Give people examples of how you can bring them to life because often oh. if you don't, if they're afraid of cooking with something, it's often because it's it, they don't know what to do with it. And so we need to break that barrier down. We need to get lots of legumes into our diet and things such as oily fish in particular, my favorite one, sardines, the cheapest. I know. And everyone goes, but I've got a really, really good recipe that I put with lots of lemon zest and I can dull down like the strength of the flavor of it. But things like that is going to be, they actually have said this report is looking at, it can actually delay menopause by three years. Like I can delay menopause by three years. A new study. Wow, that's huge. Massive. And like it's in the dose response. And that's the same with the greens powder and the veggie. So up to 600 grams of fruit and veg daily was on par, if not exceeded what a, a um what a powder did. Actually, it didn't even come close. So that was the recommended minimum dose. And then exponentially every 200 grams upwards of that up to 800 grams actually increased all your um, performance elements, your cognition, your gut health. Yeah. Everything. Wow. I need to learn to like sardines. I know. (laughs) Okay. Oily fish in general. So, you know, mackerel, salmon, um, tuna. So that's that's still good too. I can, I, I can learn to live with that. Okay. And, you know, salmon, even the tin salmon with the bones in it has mm-hmm. potassium because you're eating the bones. So, you know, all these sorts of wonderful things that we tend to go and, oh, I want to supplement that. I want to supplement. Yeah. There are so much wonderful aspects. Again, if we look at that cake batter, that whole first food, food first approach, sorry, food first, supplement second, you know, and only if you've got symptomology and not just because, because I think particularly in things such as like iron, um, you know, people would go, and I've had this happen before. Okay, get this. So I've had a client come in and she said, I was just complaining. I was a little bit tired. So my trainer at the time said, oh, I think you need iron. So go and supplement iron. So she went and got ferrograd C and started supplementing with iron. And I oh said, Oh my God, I wish people could see my face right now. 
<laughs> so I am horrified that you a know trainer what? would recommend that. 100%. And, you know, and then if you look at the diet, there was no carbohydrates in her diet. I'm like, I'll give you a little bit more of a reason as to why you're tired. Mm-hmm. And why would we be supplementing with iron unless we had that clinical value to it? In, in- yeah. Okay. How about why don't you go and see your GP and have a conversation about where your health might be and maybe get some testing done and then we can look at your diet. Whoa. This, this is common. Like you walk into any supplement shop and I can guarantee you the person that's behind that counter is not qualified to be able to give you nutrition advice. And yet, oh, here's all these supplements. You so much as say one or two elements, there's about 5 million choices that you have right there. How do you filter that? And I've often had women come in and of course now health-related, health-focused, they've got active kids now and they're like, oh, okay, I went and bought my son this vegan, get this, vegan protein powder. And I said, okay, well- well, how did you do that? So I always ask why, right? So what yeah. is, is he vegan? Mind you to make start with decision. exactly. So uh, I don't know because, like you know, protein powder isn't that good for like active teenagers. He's doing a lot of sport, and uh, the packet was like brown. So I thought it was healthier going vegan more than like whey. I wasn't too sure, and I'm like, okay. First and foremost, <laughs> supplement stand position stand on adolescence and supplementation. Absolutely not. No adolescent athlete or not, need supplementation. It's generally the athletes because, again, they're looking at those people that are ahead of them in elite sport that are doing all of and, and being promoted with all these supplements. Going right back to what you said at the very 100%. beginning of this conversation. 100%. And so yeah. they're so impressionable at that age. But now you're getting parents that are trying to make informed decisions and they actually have no idea how that's yeah. happened or what are the, the protocol to go through with. The other incident where that has happened, um, this wonderful client of mine, her son, no fault of her own before she met me, was in the hospital with liver failure. So his biomarkers of liver were off the charts and they're like, what drugs has he taken? What has he eaten? How much alcohol has he had? And she's like, oh my goodness, nothing. I don't understand. It took her two months to figure out it was a vegan protein powder that had been recalled in the States, but not in Canada. (gasps) And so this is another example. So I'm going to tell you something about the supplement industry. Mostly it is unregulated. So I'm not just talking about vitamins and minerals now. I'm talking about the whole gamut of stuff, right? Pre-workouts, post-workouts. We can talk protein powders, you know. So, and and I'm not anti, like I actually really love protein powder for perimenopausal women, for menopausal women. Our protein needs are elevated, right? It's very difficult for us when we're working with a calorie budget to not increase the weight gain because they're losing muscle at the same time. But we also want to provide a beautiful amount of amino acids in their diet. So I will often rely on a protein powder of good quality supplementation um, in order to hit that box. And that's not necessary, but it's bloody easy. So it's convenient, right? So as you're starting to build and develop the these beautiful, wonderful nutrition and lifestyle habit and behaviors, a little bit of supplementation might actually help you get there a bit quicker, might make you feel better about what you're doing and might give you a little bit more commitment to the cause. So your consistency can then pay off. So from this aspect, if I have a look at these types of things, like the supplement industry is a really interesting industry. So what has happened now is that there is a, a, a system called informed sport tested. And so if an athlete, let's take an athlete, for instance, but I think this is works across the board. So really, if you're ever going to take any supplement, you need to make sure that you understand where the source of the supplement is coming from, how much is contained in obviously the therapeutic dose and how much you should be taking and whether you should be taking it at all. So 
questions, big questions to have. But if you did want to have like a kind of first sort of glaze over in terms of the sport-related supplements, you should be looking for an informed sport-tested logo. So some are informed sport um, batch-tested, so that will often do every single supplement that comes out of that supplement line will be tested. And so if an athlete takes that, they are guaranteed that they shouldn't. I mean, it's never a hundred percent, but they shouldn't fail a drug test because a lot of this unregulated industry, because of the weight of the ingredients that they were putting in, they were often processed in completely different manufactured in areas where you had no idea and they weren't required by law to put that on the label. So we would often find that if we, and there's been studies where they pulled heaps of supplements off the counter, they've tested them for multiple different things, amphetamines and everything. And there's been some things that they pulled up there that went, they went, holy, crap this stuff you know fat burners you know it might work if it's laced with amphetamines um you know what i mean oh so you have to and i don't mean to alarm anyone but but be be aware be aware be aware so look for that informed sport tested logo um it's a little kind of running man with a little i might do a link in the show notes through to what that looks like yeah yeah so you can get ones that are fully informed sport um you know with that tested logo on it and there are others that are still reputable in terms of um the brand but they might not test everything because it's very expensive it's a bought logo as well so it actually needs to go through a robust level of testing Yeah, exactly. Right. But it costs money to do that. So there are other supplements that will sort of kind of every, you know, three or four batches do a, do a test on one. So again, so if you're not an elite athlete, that's probably okay to get and look for as well, that there's a couple of different, there's a green one and a yellow one. So the traffic light system, right? Um, Yeah. But, but aside from that, that's probably a really big place to start, particularly when you're looking at that sort of supplementation for sport related supplements. Yeah. So this would be, if you were looking at like, you know, your protein powders, your creatine, your, um, your pre-workout, post-workout, those sorts of things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And like things like creatine monohydrate, like, I mean, the, the, the evidence that's associated with that, particularly for women, like we have around 70 to 80% less storage capacity of creatine compared to males. And so when I look at that, we can store creatine in our muscles, but we also store a little bit in our brain. So from a cognition effect, and we now look at the literature in, you know, what, at what stage would this be beneficial for women? Um, <laughs> menstrual cycle, uh, <laughs> pregnancy, and <laughs> hello, <laughs> postmenopausal. So these are the things, as I said, that, but how we use them. So then you go, great, I need creatine monohydrate. And it's, you know, again, that could be in a stack. So you've got to ask, is it creatine monohydrate? Is it the simplest form and the most um, extracted form of that nutrient possible, not put with any other fillers? So another thing to be aware of, things that say proprietary blends, run run from the hills <laughs> oh really because you have no idea if it's a proprietary blend they don't know like you you're like I don't so know is that kind of like there. a secret recipe 100 okay. so if something if the product is not going to disclose exactly what's in there yeah you oh, don't want to know what's exactly in there no that's exactly yeah, okay. right so yeah and- so look at the dose amount so you know when we're thinking about okay well how much do i take and that sort of thing so again this is why an assessment with a dietitian, but, but even a sports dietitian, like a lot of people don't understand. A lot of these think about, you know, women think about this as being sport-related products. They could actually be so beneficial for our mm. everyday health yep. that we can put these sorts of things into because we've now got the research to support that in this population, they're seeing a really interesting benefit. There was also a two-year trial with menopausal women looking at bone health and creatine monohydrate. So again, there's something like that that can be taken now long-term. We've got long-term studies that have revealed, whilst it didn't increased bone mineral density, it helped um, the markers of what would support strong bones. So, you know, again, it's in combination with can we get our protein right? 
yeah, we might need a protein powder, but just day to day, can we get our protein right in terms of our food? Can we add to that with creatine monohydrate? So it's all about building that cake batter, you know, from the cake batter, it's all about building the layers. And that's what we want to do, you know, have first and foremost dietary assessment. Can we get it from food where we can't, then we can use and and rely on supplementation to help us through that. And then of course, you know, if we want that second tier, that other level, we can go to the next level after that as well. Okay, Angela, to finish things up, I think there was one final area that I was really hoping we could touch on, um, and that is sleep. It's an area that I know so many women in this transitional period struggle with. What do you recommend or what have you come across that can be most beneficial for women? Yeah. And again, like I said, the literature is really poor. We understand that things are still emerging, but what we can deduct from what we do know and what we can trial again and just see if it makes an effect is something like a tart cherry concentrate I've seen and used with my menopausal ladies that actually helps at nighttime. It's just a concentrate of a sour cherry. So it's not the sweet one, unfortunately, and it's not just like cherry juice. So just be really mindful that it's it's a concentrated momentary cherry is what they're what you're looking for. So we take about 30 mils of that in um, a little bit of water. So it's quite tart. Um, and we have that around dinner time. Um, and that helps to, we think, increase melatonin, which is that wonderful um, you know, hormone that helps us to, to fall asleep. But in combination with that, we also need to look at some other things that we might want to think about in terms of sleep hygiene um, in and around that. In particular, I would often say watch your caffeine levels because that's definitely, if we're talking about a supplement, um, caffeine is a supplement and it is an ergogenic aid as well. It does um, help us to reduce that perception of effort. Um, It delays that sort of fatigue response. But on the flip side of that, um, the unfortunate part of that is that it does keep you more alert and more awake. So often looking at caffeine of having about a six, four to six hour half-life. So it'll take around about that time for it to get half out of your system. Um, we want to have that well before or be switching caffeine off well, well before 12 o'clock um, and getting to bed a little bit more on time. So yeah, other than your kind of normal sleep hygiene routine, um, I would definitely consider maybe a tart cherry concentrate. But again, if sleep disturbances are things that are happening, indication that you are going through that perimenopause transition. We've got some undulating hormones that are happening here. Um, you know, don't, don't discredit having a chat to your GP about hormone replacement therapy because I think a lot of the times, you know, that is it, it's it's because of the the fluctuation of estrogen and of course um, the lowering of those hormones over time. If you're really struggling, because um, we know that if we don't sleep, it's going to affect our appetite hormones and our glucose metabolism, and then that's going to have some consequences and some flow on effects with so many other levels. Um, I've looked at things such as chromium with uh, helping sugar levels as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's some evidence within that um, that might actually help in terms of that insulin resistance and inositol as well. Um, particularly that's been used and heavily looked at with PCOS, but obviously we're seeing insulin resistance in that menopause transition as well. So they're the two things that I think, are, whilst it's not um, helping sleep as such, the, the effect of um, poor sleep <laughs> is going to mean that it's going to affect your appetite hormones the next day. And then that could have an influence on your blood glucose levels and things like that as well. So remember, we do have a circadian rhythm. So it is important that um, when we're looking at food, um, there is a certain time zone that is probably best. Our gut bugs actually like to eat food in daylight hours. So if we can try to avoid eating big meals late at night, that's going to help our sleep as well and to push that up a little bit earlier in the day and hopefully that will help with sleep as well. So I know it's not supplement related, but again, look at the whole picture. That up yeah. up there. 
Lots of cake. Uh, so Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and just going back to the tart cherry, um, is that something that's readily available? Do you need to find that online? Is it something people can pick up kind of like locally? Yeah, you can get it. It's probably easier to get it online. I have seen it in a few kind of health food shops as well. So Cherry Active is one brand that sort of comes to mind. Amazing. And thank you so much. We have covered off so much in this chat. We've managed to dodge most of my coughing fits. Been a lot of hitting the mute button as we've um, as we've traversed this conversation. Well, you're doing amazing things in the world. So thank you for all that you are doing for all the amazing women that get to work with you. I will share in the show notes links to everything that we've talked about today, including how women can work with you because I have worked with you personally. I um, I have friends that have worked with you and I always highly recommend your program to anybody that says to me that they are looking to work with someone from a nutritional standpoint. You know, you are the bee's knees when it comes to women's nutrition in this menopause transition. You know, the more, more women we can send your way, the better the world will be. Uh, And you know what, the more we start to change the narrative, the more we can empower women, you have permission to eat. Um, We don't need to find supplements all the time, but sometimes they help. But yeah, just get some qualified advice. So if anything, just question everything first. And for anybody that is listening to this and hasn't listened to the first episode that we recorded with Ange way back in 2022, which was just on nutrition um, for women going through perimenopause, menopause, I will link through to that in the show notes as well. And then you can listen to a whole other thing. That one's almost actually an hour and a half. There, There's a whole hour and a half there of Ange and I just talking about nutrition. So you can uh, listen into that one as well. Okay, Ange, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful to have these conversations with incredible women and experts. And I'm grateful that you chose to hit play on this episode of Dear Menopause. If you have a minute of time today, please leave a rating or a review. I would love to hear from you because you are my biggest driver for doing this work. If this chat went way too fast for you and you want more, head over to stellawomen.com.au slash podcast for the show notes. And while you're there, take my midlife quiz to see why it feels like midlife is messing with your head.